Welcome back to Common Sense Fantasy Baseball. I'm Drew, and I'm here with Greg Jewett from Fantasy Alarm, and he also contributes to Rotographs with his bullpen report. And uh, another thing that Greg does, we're, we're going to talk about. He's, he's, he's got a spreadsheet that he shares periodically on Twitter uh, with some great information about closers that, that I found last uh, season. So, Greg, welcome. Thank you, Drew. Nice to be here. Well, it's nice to have you, and I, I do a lot of these draft and hold leagues, and so closers are, you know, especially closers in January are, are an yes. interest of mine. And um, so, you know, I don't remember if it was after the season started last year. I think it might have been. I found your spreadsheet. Um, I saw you tweet it out, and um, I was just enthralled. I was like, oh, man, I can I can really kind of keep track of these guys. It's almost like a roster resource for closers, so to speak. You have your American League chart, your NL chart, and I love how you have um, not just the closer, but the guy who's the closer in waiting, or, or you know, some would call it the handcuff, and then you have some other guys that you uh, uh, you know are keeping track of, track of. So I think that's a really good resource. Um, why don't I appreciate you, it. Can you, can you give your Twitter handle so everybody can find you and follow you and see when you tweet this out? Yeah, um, in season, I try and update that daily. Now, once in a while, life happens with my son being a travel hockey player, but I'm pretty good at it, uh, especially the summer is a lot easier when I'm not teaching. But, um, yeah, I try and update it either at night or in the morning. Uh, my Twitter handle is pretty easy. It's just at G, my first initial, J-E-W-E-T-T-9. Uh, I grew up a Greg Nettles fan, so nine's been my number since about 1975. Nice. So yeah, and you can usually search people on Twitter, but G Jewett nine or Greg Jewett. Um, I I just kind of want to get right into the sheet. Uh, it, it's uh, so one of the things that I'm trying to do in the off season is have sort of a, a, a list of closers that I'm looking for because you know in these early draft and holds closers start to get pushed up, and I think we're seeing like Josh Hader going now in about the fifth round. I'm not sure if you've done a a draft and hold or, or, or paid much attention to them, but you know, you're seeing that sort of creep up and, you know, you're seeing like Yates and Asuna and Chapman go in the sixth or seventh, maybe even a Liam Hendricks and then a bunch start coming off in the eighth and ninth. So mm-hmm. um, I noticed in addition to your sort of closers by team on your first two tabs of the spreadsheet, you have a ranks tab. And um, I think you've recently updated that if I'm not mistaken. It looks like yeah, have... people uh, people have been pushing me, so I did like a a preseason one, just kind of a. I love and, it. Yeah. What I tried to do is I left the preseason 2019 just to remind everybody how volatile this position is. Right. Yeah, it's a definite reminder because you know you have Edwin Diaz at number one, and then you know you were, to your credit you had Trinan down at number seven. But uh, <laughs> I have to mention Jose Alvarado at six. So everybody was. Yeah, I was, I was a big Alvarado guy. Yeah. Well, a lot of us were. I definitely had him. I, I definitely drafted him. Um, uh, so for 2020, I'm just going to sort of like go down your list and I'll, I'll stop when I have a question, if that's OK. Or if you have somebody you want to talk about, just, um, you know, feel free to stop me. But uh, sure. Uh, I think I, I completely understand where you're going at the top. You've got Josh Hader first, and you even have little notes, and his says elite Ks. You just have to hope he doesn't get traded. I think that's a fair, uh, reasonable hope. Then you've got uh, Araldis Chapman second. I think a lot of people would have him up there. 
um, with Kirby Yates, and you have Kirby Yates third. So these are these are probably, uh, in addition to being high upside guys, you know, good ratios and strikeouts. I think they should have some safety, right? Nobody's coming in and replacing them for sure. You know, they they could anybody can get traded at any time, but you got to like the safety for these guys at the top. Yeah, and that includes Osuna just below them. Um, you know, it's. Yeah, it, it blows my mind. I mean, as soon as a hard person to rate, root for, um, just based on his personal past, but I, to his credit, I don't believe he's had a whip above one yet as a major league reliever. So that's something that yeah. does become important when we're trying to manage those ratios because it's not like sometimes, you know, people get so caught up that they're trying to get saves, but if a guy's giving you saves with a 1.45 whip, there's a lot of uh, danger in that. So, you know, if, if you didn't lock down a couple of big aces, if you don't have a DeGrom sitting there anchoring your ratio stuff, uh, having a volatile guy in there like that can wreak a little havoc. So um, I think that makes sense. I, you know, I was a little skeptical about Chapman last year, um, but the Yankees really went out of their way. I, they did not pitch him three days in a row all season last year. They really managed his workload. They, they backloaded that bullpen to ensure that he would not get pushed to the limit the way he did with the Cubs in the playoffs and other things. They, they really wanted to, to keep him fresh. Um, and he had a little bit of rebound with all of his stuff. His velocity was still a little down last year, but he, he, he was able to work around it. And Yates, you know, I was big on Yates. I, I prompted Howard Bender to draft him in the FSGA draft last year. He was in like round 10. He's like, I need a closer. I was like, get Yates, and uh, and Howard profited from that decision. Um, I think he was just somebody that was kind of flying a little below the radar last year that was ready to pop, and yeah, uh, that kind of happens. You know, I, I noticed you had him 12th last year, so you definitely were on him, and I think he had kind of a bargain, so obviously no more. But I guess you don't really have tiers on the spreadsheet, but would you say those top four it's, are sort of a tier? Yeah, and um, – you know, it's funny you said that. As we'll, we'll talk a little later because I was really intrigued. Um, one of the guys that I, you know, follows back and forth with me on Twitter, he posted his the first NFBC auction that was that happened, mm. and I think the pricing on the closers kind of got done by those tiers. And I, I saw some interesting guys that I think are going to be able to be profited on this year, and some other people where. The, the profit margins already expired. So uh, we'll touch upon that. But yeah, I mean, eventually as the season goes, I could always add some colors in there and tear them. Um, that wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, and, and we're really tracking in spring to see how people are used. And it's funny because in the spring, you're looking to see who's working in usually the fourth or the fifth inning for most teams because that's usually the last time the starters are in there. So managers will get their closer in there. So he's facing big league guys instead of guys that are just getting swings and being with the team. Interesting. So that's maybe one thing, you know, we always say don't, don't, you know, look too closely at spring training, but that might be one thing where it, it, it pays to pay attention. So Yeah, and, and a lot of these muddled situations, yes, you, you want to see who San Francisco, St. Louis, and um, some of these other teams where we're not quite sure what's going to happen. Seattle. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I think Seattle's willing to let McGill kind of run with it, and that's something okay. we can talk about at the well, end. Well, Pittsburgh is another um, one, I guess. Yeah, Pittsburgh is kind of muddled. I mean, I think they want – uh, Keone Kayla, but Kyle Crick's kind of lingering there, and we don't know what else is going to happen with all of that. And, one I mean, of the things their payroll down to 40 million. One of the things when it comes to, you know, sort of those situations where there's not a very clear guy, I, I tend to look at 
who was in the role at the end of the season last year. And even though McGill in Seattle only got maybe five saves, he was at least the guy for a few weeks. And, you know, that's the thing about with the unfortunate situation in Pittsburgh with Vasquez. Um, Kayla didn't even really, is it Kayla or Kayla? Anyway, he didn't really get a chance to sort of insert himself into the role. Yeah, I think he had one, maybe two saves down the stretch. Yeah, that's correct. But well, he did he did get the one chance they had. Okay. Well, so, so that means something to me. But anyway, we're jumping ahead. So let me go back to uh, <laughs> after those first four. Uh, this is maybe an interesting value point already that you were talking about. But you have uh, Edwin Diaz, number five. Um, that is a little bit higher than he's going uh, and ahead of – I'll just rattle off your next few – you have Liam Hendricks at six, Ken Giles at seven, uh, Brad Hand at eight, and Taylor Rogers at nine, and Kenley Jansen at ten. I, I, mm-hmm. I, this is not. This is these are not tiers of Greg's. This is just where I am choosing to stop. So, <laughs> so those <laughs> no, that's six, a good break point. Okay, good, good. So those six guys. Um, I think maybe Diaz is probably going towards the bottom, and you have him at the top of those six. Yeah, uh, and that's it's like you. You made the, uh, the the segue with Yates last year. Um, you know, Edwin Diaz at this point last year was the number one. He was going at pick forty nine point eight one in in at in in March last year in the NFBC uh, average draft position. So I mean, this is a top fifty pick, and now you're probably getting around pick one ten. Um, you know, we know the Mets staff can generate uh, chances for saves. I mean. Diaz did set a career high in blown saves last year. He was pitching through some elbow issues, and I think the the seams on the baseball last year really messed with his uh, with his command and his slider. And you know there was some volatility there, but you look at his xFIP and you look at his strikeout rate remain the same. Um, I think there's definite migration to the mean here this year. I just want to make sure he's healthy. You know, Lugo was was argued was actually not arguably he was the best Mets reliever last year from start to finish. However, they, I think they want Diaz in that role so Lugo can do the you know six, seven, eight the the dirty work at the at the high leverage moments before the ninth inning. So. Uh, and adding Batances eventually, as long as he proves healthy, that really gives them a nice uh, three-headed monster at the back end of that of that bullpen. But th- this is all to pave the way for Diaz to have success. So, well, know, I- I'm not ready to sell him up the river. That's that's a lot of good info, and it's interesting that you mentioned the, the you know sort of the three-headed monster because I, I do think you know Lugo really um, had to earn himself some some major brownie points i guess with the coaching and the team um is but remember so, that staff's gone well, uh, well that's true that's true i guess i guess the where i'm going with all that is is there a chance they go to a committee um because you know i gotta think lugo has has earned something if not just an opportunity here and there um i think i think lugo can still get like a two inning save say there's a day where Diaz has worked maybe back-to-back, or there's an eighth, eighth inning where Lugo just mows the team down on like 12 pitches, and the Mets just say, hey, just let him do the ninth and get it over with. Or the Mets um, score uh, four runs in the bottom of the eighth. Or the, yeah, it's, you know. well, it's funny you say that because they had a situation in, uh, in a $350 uh, Rotowire league last year. 
I missed cashing out on the on the second spot in the league by one save, and I had Lugo active on one of those exact games, and the Mets put him out there, and then they scored four in the ninth, and they took him out, and then they end up losing that game. And if they had just used my boy Lugo, I would have been uh, a little bit richer. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how a roto league can come down to something that minute. Oh, absolutely. The smallest I've heard of people winning and losing on like a like a walk RBI or, you know, like a one, like a one hit or one uh, point of batting average or you know anything like that. So, yeah, um, but, but to your, I'm oh, sorry, to, but to your point, when uh, the GM, the, you know, giving up Kellenic to get Diaz and, and Cano, I, I, you know, I think part of his job is tied to Diaz having a strong year this year. So even if the Mets coaching staff might be inclined to go with Lugo, it has to be Diaz to start the year to, to be a saving grace for Brody. I don't see how Lugo opening the year as closer or, or working his way into a major committee that would have to be Diaz would have to fall flat on his face again. I think, I think part of, uh, of, of Brody's all, everything that he's been doing is staked is tied to, Diaz having like a dominant closer year, which he's very capable of. And I think he needs to do it to justify that trade. I think he, he must be uh, at the top or, or certainly very near the top when it comes to strikeouts, um, especially with strikeouts per nine. So he's definitely still got the skills. Um, I just, yeah, yeah. I, I guess it's gonna. Oh, it's not gonna be a. It's not gonna. It's not like I'm guaranteeing it, but I'm. I'm it's gonna. De- I hope he, like you said, you know, he had some trouble with the with the ball and the seams. I hope he got. He's gotten a handle on that, or or <laughs> if if not, that the ball has changed or something for his sake. But um, but it'll be interesting, and he's certainly got more upside than a lot of these other guys. Um, so I'll take the next three sort of as a as a group, and that is Liam Hendricks, Ken Giles, and Brad Hand. Because I feel like they each have sort of some slight risk, and I think you point that out as well. But but maybe the risks are overblown for you know for you to have them this high. So Hendricks, you know, I think it's just the breakout. You know, like no one really knows what to what to see as a follow up with Ken Giles. There was some health risk, and uh, Brad Hand maybe maybe the same. But then also the the talk of trading. I tend to go in with the attitude that if I'm pretty sure that the guy is going to be the closer at the beginning of the season, that's good enough for me. Anybody can get traded, but um, you know, Brad hand seems to get the, the talk about that. And specifically <laughs> I'm giving you a lot here, but, but on no, those, okay. th- but those three, but those points on those three guys. And then my fourth point would be, why do you have them all ahead of my boy, Taylor Rogers? <laughs> um, they are only there. And it's funny because this is not a uh, this is not a a set in stone sort of a ranking. I kind of rushed through this just to kind of get them out there. I, I me and um, Al Melchior from the bullpen report also on Rotographs. We've both been big Taylor Rogers guys, and this dates back to probably two years ago when we were hyping him up a little bit when he wow. when he changed his pitch mix and and things started popping for him before I knew um, who he was probably. <laughs> And that's the whole thing. You know, it's funny. People are like, oh, why Why do people read those bullpen reports and all those other things? Because things start to present themselves just like with Hendricks, you know. And in September of 2018, he kind of sowed the seeds of what happened last year. You know, he, he came off the disabled list and he had a really dominant month with the A's um, in that September. And those are the little things that you kind of key in on and it kind of it can forecast what happens in the future. So same thing. With Rodgers, Hendricks changed his pitch mix. Um, 
use that slider a little more, start generating more strikeouts, and then we saw what happened, you know, contributing to his breakout last year along with Trinan's collapse. You know, it's just one of those, and we say the word far too often, but it applies so well. Just the volatility of closing is so tough. You know, Brad Hand last year was one of the it guys. He was very buzzy. People were trying to load up on him, and then he had he was you know he wasn't pitching at the end of last year. You know, I I don't think it's you know, uh, it's it's goofy, but I mean, you know, the Indians traded for Emmanuel Clase for a reason because either they know something about hand or they just figure they're going to run them out there until June. And then if they are not contending, they have the option to trade hand. So hmm. um, that that's that's kind of the, the tongue in cheek there with would they trade him if, if the Indians continue to do a teardown. And, and, and this could go any – the AL Central could go one of three ways with, with the three teams that have been kind of – that will be vying for that title this year. Um, and the Rogers seems like the most stable, so maybe I do have him a little bit too low. The only thing I can say there is the one bugaboo with Rogers is he does struggle sometimes in back-to-back. There was a couple of times last year, and the Twins would use him for like four hitters on – one day and then come back to him the next day and he would struggle. Um, yeah, he I was think they need to manage him a little better like the Yankees do with Chapman. I think that's a good point. Yeah, I think he was lights out in the first half and then sort of maybe got tired down the stretch. Oh, yeah, so, they, they wore him down. So so um, that makes a lot of sense. And, and that's why I have to note in there about Romo because there's, there's a good chance Romo could get five to ten saves just giving Rodgers a day off. I mean – in a mixed 12 team mixed league, that doesn't matter. But in a 15 team or league only format, suddenly having Romo for a dollar back there, if he gets you five to seven saves, there's value in that. Absolutely. With Giles, are you just not particularly worried about his health? Was it not, not the kind of stuff that you, you expect to linger? I'm hoping. I mean, this this is wishful. I mean, it's it's one of those things. Uh, there's so many questions after that first group we talked about. I mean, it seems funny. This 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 almost feels like a year where if you are picking on the wheel, and, and you hammer like a Chapman and Yates in in the sixth and seventh round, if for some reason they're still there, that gives you such a jump on your competition with all these other people trying to sift through. Or even if you get one of those guys as an anchor, then it gives you the leeway to gamble on some of the other guys that'll be coming up later, and as uh, the rebound guys or or people that could give you those those pocket saves that that really help you with it. Uh, I, I'm seeing more and more with the saves. The saves went back down a little bit last year. I believe the the 80th percentile in NFBC uh, in 12 teams was about 81 saves. I'm going off the top of my head, but we and covered that. One the, too. Wow. Yeah. Um, so the save numbers were down a little bit. So it's almost like if you had, you know, Yates was the only one to get 40 saves last year. So um, if you had him and then you had, you know, another closer that was hot because strikeouts were in such need, it's almost like if you want to go a 7-2 and then some weeks you can go 6-3, I think you need to have that flexibility in your pitching staff this year more than any in, in, in recent memory. Excellent points. And um, that's some good strategy in there too. I guess, uh, you know, even it's, it's, it's interesting to note that even after we drop down after those first four guys, we're already talking about risks with all of these guys. And speaking of which, I'm going to continue on with number 10, Kenley Jansen. <laughs> I love how you said 
find someone to trust you like LA does Jansen. <laughs> they are got- so loyal to him. It blew my mind last year how teams that were bunting were giving him fits because he got angry about it, and then they stopped doing it. Wow. It's like if you know something that presses his buttons, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's, do it. You know, um, I, he's had a great run in LA. I mean, LA is just so, so um, – Trusting they're, of him. I they're loyal, like you LA said, but I mean, it. yeah. it's, it's, I, it's I probably going to be him that breaks down before it's them that gives up on him, right? <laughs> is that the, is that it kind feels of that way. I mean, getting Trinan, I think, you know, will help them a little bit. And Joe Kelly in the second half last year was actually pretty good. I know there was a couple of games that we all remember where he gave up a big home run, but around those, he was, he was very, very good down the stretch. So, um, but I just uh, don't know. I don't know that the Dodgers trust him, which is why Trinan's coming in. I think they, I think they see a little bit more closer mentality in Trinan, if that makes any sense. So I think he becomes the security blanket. If something happens to Jansen, as long as he's healthy, which again is another question mark. It's probably not a bad idea, especially in a draft and hold league, especially if you draft Jansen to draft Trinan much, much later. And he might even be a good guy to draft just in case. Uh, I guess my question is, is, is there any other guy in, in, on the Dodgers that could take the role? Maybe Pedro Baez? Uh, I just, again, another one. He's, he has his moments, but sometimes he just has bad, bad meltdowns. I just... He's much too uh, much too much like a Roman candle for me to trust. I don't. I don't think you know. And again, he'll have two weeks where he looks like one of the best relievers in baseball, and then he'll have a game where he can't throw a strike. He's he's a very frustrating player to own in like holds formats. Hmm. Interesting. Well, but you know, I I guess the worry for me is that they decide to dodger it, so to speak. You know, and they come <laughs> they come out with some sort of way to keep Jansen semi in the role, but he ends up with, you know, 20 saves at the most. And then they get trying in for a few and maybe Baez gets one. And then, you know, what, what happened a couple of times last year is I think it was Julio Urias had like a three inning save because he yep. came in and he just stayed in. And of course you can't do much about that because it mostly had to do with the Dodgers scoring runs. And so they had a big read right. and he, they just left him in. But, uh, you know, I'm worried about him getting Dodgered. I'm similarly worried about, the next guy you've got, Rossiel Iglesias at 11, uh, becoming a, a sort of a part of a committee. Although I noticed that he got, was it 34 saves last year? So maybe, I'm, yeah. maybe my worries are overblown. Yeah, when, when the committee started to morph and Lorenzen was getting a little bit more time in the ninth inning, Iglesias was very uh, outspoken with the media, complaining that he wanted to be a more traditional closer. Um and I think, uh, to his credit, Price kind of uh, changed how he structured everything and did it, you know. And, and it's funny you bring up all that up because um, if the Reds ever decided to trade Iglesias, I mean, Robert Stevenson, his numbers down the stretch last year were phenomenal. Um, yeah. He was somebody that I was really starting to become enamored with. Um, his, You know, it, it takes a little time to transition to the bullpen, but he was, I mean, you know, I, I listed him as uh, in one of my articles on Fantasy Alarm as a potential ratio eraser this year. Um, I'll look up the numbers in a minute, but he had a couple of stretches, you know, that were just phenomenal. 
So would he um, be the he guy? He might be the most upside arm in that in that bullpen because I don't think they can do it with Lorenzen. How they use him playing outfield once in a while and and working around, although some of that's going to be limited since relievers have to face three hitters in a row now. Um, they really can't bring in Lorenzen, face a guy, and then put him in the left field. So that's going to limit some maybe some of the bats that he was able to accrue and and his pliability from last year. Gotcha. You're, Lorenzen's an interesting player for sure, going both ways and all that. But you anticipated my question. You know, you said Stevenson might might very well get the roll over him. It's it's a volatile situation if they decide to change something, maybe trade Iglesias. But um, he, it sounds like he may be. You may see him sort of as a value uh, if they continue sort of the deference to him that they showed last year. Yeah, um, I, it was, um, you know, I, again, he's just one of those guys that about midway through the year last year, I started kind of paying more attention to. And it was right around the time where um, Nick Anderson was going on his run as well. So um, it's it's just, yeah, he's he's definitely a player of intrigue for me. Um, and, and, and the strikeout race that he showed, it, it, his uh, K minus BB grew in the second half. And, and there was just some stuff there that uh, that really caught my attention that made him. I was listing them on my charts where other people were kind of ignoring them sort of a thing. Okay, great. Um, I'm going to keep moving. So at 12, you have uh, Emilio Pagan. And, at and 30... that one has to be adjusted just if you saw the article that came out today from uh, the Tampa Bay Times. Oh, I did not. Please, please. Uh, breaking news uh, here, uh, guys. Well, <laughs> well, it's not breaking news, but I, I, re- I retweeted the article earlier this morning. Um the, the pitching coach was coming out and just saying, you know, we're, we're going to, it was like, we loved what he did last year, but you know, who knows? It could be Castillo. It could oh, wow. Be, it could be Anderson getting some looks, you know, Ray's going to Ray. You know how the Rays are. And, and there's, you know, there's one way to control arbitration prices and that is to cap somebody's saves. So yep. um, Pagan had the job at the end of the year and they used him as such. And even though, um, he pitched really well in the second half too. It wasn't all just Anderson, but um, yeah, you, you mentioned know, yeah, both of them. That's going to have to be adjusted because, and, and I ran a poll on that just to see what was happening. And Anderson won the poll. I, the poll was simple: it was who gets more saves for the Rays next year, Pagan or Anderson? And I think Anderson won it about sixty percent to forty percent. So, wow. you know, anybody who thinks they're going to get a steal reaching on Anderson uh, again? That that's one of the guys we mentioned. The window's kind of shut. Um, everyone noticed what Anderson did in the second half. Everybody's writing about it. He's not a sleeper. Um, people know about Nick Anderson now. If you're going to pay a a top one sixty pick on a guy who doesn't have the job, to me that seems like money not well spent. When you can get, I, I love what Anderson can do, but I can get Joe I can get Joe uh, Jimenez of the Tigers forty picks later, and I'm pretty sure the Tigers are going to have him a closer. Yeah, and Jimenez may end up with you know twenty five to thirty saves, and Nick Anderson may struggle to get more than ten or fifteen. So, I I I have been sort of out on the Rays bullpen, not because I mean, I'm with you, Pagan was a great pitcher when he was, when he was in it. And he did kind of have the role for a while there just because they had so much attrition with injuries and, and, and whatnot. But uh, for this year, I see them, uh, I didn't realize there was an article, but I was worried that they were going to go back to their, their committee ways. So it sounds like um, say no more there. I, I, I think that's one 
worth avoiding, especially in, um, you know, any kind of draft and hold format, especially. And then if you're not getting a discount, I would probably avoid that anywhere. Uh, I'm very interested in your next one. Uh, number 13, you have Brandon Workman, who I think was also extremely good, except he, except for his, um, the copious amount of walks that he issued, but the skills were great. And uh, you even have a note that he could be higher if the, the new manager kind of gives him the thumbs up as, as being the guy. Yeah. And that's disappointing because Alex Cora was on an interview with uh, Howard Bender and, uh, and the, and the GM uh, Jim Bowden on the fancy alarm show. And he came out and said, workman's my guy this year. You know, he said last year, the stuff I did didn't really work. And he was entering the season with Workman as the closer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you didn't mention the walks, but th- this stat blew my mind. Workman did not give up a home run to the last 215 batters he faced last year. Wow. That's and, incredible. And home run central. Yeah. Um, and, and he, he had really good the... – uh, he, he had all kinds of good metrics other than just, you know, strikeouts and ratios. I mean, he you yeah. know, his expected I mean, batting average against was one of the lowest in the league. He was just, he was, um, just kind of – good all around um the i mean you know, the you, walks sorry go ahead yeah oh no it's okay i would say you're looking at he won 10 games he had 16 saves and 15 holds so you can never <laughs> figure on wins year to year but even if you cut those wins in half if you just add those holds to saves that's five wins and 31 saves i mean and it took him one a- of the one of the few relievers to get 100 strikeouts last year it took, and I assume a lot of those wins were, you know, in middle relief because it took him a while to get the job. But I mean, when he got the job, he pretty much held it. And the reason he got the job is because everybody else failed. So right. I really don't see any reason that they would pull him out of that role and try. I mean, what, you know, try to get Matt Barnes to do it again. I just don't understand why they wouldn't no. go with Workman. So if and again, if the Red Sox end up falling out of contention and maybe they decide to trade Workman. Um, then I'm watching. I'm keeping a keen eye on Darwinson Hernandez there, the the young fireballing lefty. He's not as good as a role as Chapman, but he just feels like the same sort of pitcher. That's a great. That's a great one. I, I'm um, sort of going back over to your other tab in the spreadsheet where you've got the high ups pitcher guys listed. Um, you know where you have it listed by team. I think that'll be of interest to people, especially you know people dynasty leagues and other formats i mean i think this is a really cool little resource for them so let me just keep pressing on we've got um hansel robles at 14 archie bradley at 15 i kind of want to talk about bradley just because i'm not a big fan of his his skills he's never been a huge strikeout guy he's you know he tends to have a high whip um do is this is this basically just you saying He's he's the guy. He's got the role, so I can't rank him any lower than this. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, I I would be happy to trade him with like where maybe Hector Neris is. Um, I'd have no issue with that. Um, you know, I and if you read my notice, says I'm not as sold on his second half as others. Um, right. He's he's just somebody where his underlying metrics really didn't match up with their performance. If he can keep the ball on the ground and. He can do what he did at the end of last year. That's great. But I think he's a guy that's kind of walking the high wire. Um, I would be more inclined to pass on him where he is in his ADP. Um, and in a 50 in a fifty round draft and hold, um, I wouldn't mind having a share or two of Kevin Ginkle. I just liked what I saw of him at the end of last year. 
Um, he had high strikeout numbers in the minors, and I think, you know, he's old. He's 26, you know, to come up as a rookie, but he had a pretty good impact. You know, everybody was waiting for Yoan Lopez to kind of emerge out there, and it never happened. He's far too hittable. Um, so that's that's something I've been watching. So well, you read um, I'll my probably mind. have I'll have zero shares of Archie Bradley this year based on where his price is, if that means anything. You read my mind again. I was actually going to ask if you're – you know, penciling in, or if you're pretty sure Kevin Ginkle would be the the backup there, I think that's definitely a a situation, kind of like the Ken, Kenley Jansen situation, where it's like you know, you you never know what's going to happen. He could just have a great year and hold the role the whole time. But if you're going to grab a backup, and and you know, when you're drafting a draft and hold, and it's fifty rounds long, you, you're going yeah. to be getting some backups or some. And, some and just they were things. very. They were very patient with Greg Holland, more patient than he should have been. So, I mean, they will give they will give Bradley rope, which I think adds to where he's listed right there. But again, it's just it's it's not somebody I'm uh, I'm looking to get. Right, you gotta you gotta gamble somewhere in round forty five or whatever. You might as well throw a dart at Kevin Ginkle. Mm-hmm. Um, Sixteen. This is really interesting to me. You have Sean Doolittle, and. Um, <laughs> You said, you know, it would be higher except for his reliability on health. Um, So you're not worried about any kind of committee situation with Daniel Hudson, who did so well last year, or even... Hudson has an ex-fip above five. I mean, he was doing that with smoke and mirrors. Hudson just got hot at the right time. Um, If you look at over his career, um, Hudson's not somebody that we can usually trust to that level and high leverage. And God bless him, he helped the Nats win a win a World Series, but um, I'd be a little worried about his home run the fly ball and and some of those issues. As a matter of fact, I, I personally have Harris ahead of him. I you know, they paid way more money and more years for Harris than they did. I, I think they brought Hudson back kind of in good faith and like, you know, they can slot him in the seventh inning where he's not going to do as much damage to your bullpen. Um my goodness. Yeah. I would be I would be more worried about Harris as a Doolittle owner, but Doolittle set her career high in saves last year, and he was one of the per- people I was alluding to. In that NFBC 15 team draft, a team got Doolittle for two dollars. Wow. That's, yeah, I mean, I mean you could do worse at two dollars. Yeah. Twenty saves is still. Well, and ridiculous. in an auction, if you if you take a, a guy for two dollars, you can still afford to take a you know, just as many other guys as you were going to take anyway, you know, $2 is such a small amount of your budget. So that's, that's yeah, really I, interesting. I don't know that that price will stay there. If he shows up in spring and his velocity gets back up into the 94 mile per hour range last year, he sat more in the 93s. Um, and I looked at him month by month. He had two bad months wow. and one of them happened to be August. Um, and then he got shut down for a little bit. Then he came back and he did pitch well in the playoffs, even though he wasn't, the closer per se, um, I, I think Martinez will be somewhat loyal to him and let him start the year in that role again. Um, again, they they stayed with him through the through the roller coaster. But uh, I, off the top of my head, because I just did his profile, I'm pretty sure there was back to back months where he had an ERA under two in June and July. So I mean, right before he imploded, he had one of his best stretches of the season. So. Recency bias a lot of times bites us in the ass with all of these things when we're doing these rankings and other stuff. And it's like, oh, Doolittle, he's always hurt and this and that. He, he's he been another guy that's a great whip guy. He doesn't walk a lot of people, you know, and, and his strikeouts went down last year, which affected his performance. If you see in the spring that he's hitting 94 and, and he's he's being aggressive with his fastball, then then I think this is somebody whose price could rise. 
um, but we just have to monitor all the reports if Martinez says anything. But as of as of right now, um, I I like to do a little bounce back. Well, that's that's really good stuff because I mean, I'm sure that that auction will be an outlier. There's no way you know two dollars doesn't even make any sense. But but I, I was looking where some other closers had gone in in the in the auction that I'm looking at, and I mean. You know, even Will Smith went for five. Uh, yep. Ober, yeah, that's the same nine. one. I mean, like, there's, there's, most closers go for ten plus. Uh, but I mean, if you can, Giles went for fifteen. Um, if you can get anybody for two dollars, I mean, that's just you can just add that to your, to your back pocket because that's 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 a, that's a deal if there's even a chance, really. You know, that, and it's funny because auction, it all depends on when people come out. I mean, that's almost a thing where if you're thinking you want to get uh, a Chapman or an Asuna or Yates to anchor your your closer, um, you can toss out Doolittle early for like a dollar. And if it's crickets, then you can spend more on one of those closers that you want. You know, that's a good point. Um, I, yeah. I think that's an overlooked um, part. I mean, that's the fun thing about auctions is sometimes you'll see things like, how did that guy go for that much? But that could have been a point where two or three people needed the closer and they have money to spend. So that guy's going to get priced up. Whereas other people do not. I mean, Jimenez went for $3 in that one. I think that's a bargain. Um, there, Absolutely. there was a lot of bargains we had and it's funny because like, I think Nick Anderson went for $1 less than Pagan. Uh, Will Smith went for $5 versus Melanson for two, even though the Braves have said Melanson will open the year as the closer. Um, <laughs> people don't believe he's going to hold it. And, and my poll was a landslide agreeing with that. Um, I just think the general consensus is, you know, Smith beat him out in San Francisco, so he's going to beat him out in Atlanta. But Snickers shown that uh, even when Vizcaino and Minter were healthy, he liked to play matchups in the late innings, was to say he won't do that again, which caps both of their values. So, I mean, there's so many domino effects when all these things happen in season. It's, it's just crazy. Well, that's that's interesting stuff. Uh, I, I guess along with Doolittle, let me take a sort of a big group of five or six guys here that you have after him, because I think there may be some similarities here with just like, there's really no reason they shouldn't be the guy, uh, but there might be various risks. So you've got Scott Oberg at, at 17, Hector Neris at uh, 18, uh, then Kimbrell, then Ian Kennedy, then Alex Calame, then Jimenez, Joe Jimenez, and then Jose Leclerc. So that's, I know I threw out a lot of names there, but to, <laughs> to me, this there's, uh, you know, I would probably order these guys and, and Doolittle and Bradley a little bit differently um, and maybe even throw in um, like workmen and uh, who else have we passed? Hansel Robles. I mean, to me, this is kind of a glob as, as people like to call, you know, uh, a group of typically they're talking about starting pitchers that are all sort of in the same area. Yeah. Would, would you agree with that or am I missing something? No, I agree. And I think that's the hardest thing when you're doing rankings because everybody sees them differently and, all of these Twitter things, sometimes people go back and forth on a ranking on a guy. It's just personal feel. Um, if, if we were ranking this based on who am I going to take in a draft, it might vary um, just compared to what is listed there. You know, I think I have that, out of that glob only, I would say only Kimbrell and Leclerc could probably finish top 10, but they could also lose the job by June. So which that's is part are... of the reason where their ranking is. To me, those are the two most interesting names here. Um, you know, if I take the other guys, uh, where, where Scott Oberg and Ian Kennedy, 
are going in drafts, they're they're easy to grab because Kennedy is mm-hmm. is towards the the end of the closers, and Oberg is at almost at the very end. Um, Hector Neris seems like a good value. Uh, Alex Calame kind of the same, but with Kimbrel and Leclerc, um, and then Jimenez is going very late too. Joe Jimenez, so he's definitely a value in my opinion. But with Kimbrel and Leclerc, you know, I think the risks, like you said, are higher, but the upside's higher. Uh, I personally have been drafting a lot of Leclerc and zero Kimbrel because I think the risk with Kimbrel for some, for some reason to me it's more you know Leclerc has just been volatile we don't there's not really a health thing it's just how good is he and I happen to think he's pretty good <laughs> but I also get him pretty cheap with Kimbrel he's a little bit more expensive and yeah you're right it's the health that, that worries me so uh, it sounds like you have sort of the same outlook, but if if I'm if I'm incorrect on any of that, please say so. No, no, uh, and and your opinion is obviously welcome. I mean, uh, it's you know this stuff is, you know, sometimes somebody can say something to me, and I'll go back and look at them, and I'll because one of my uh, most ardent followers was asking me about Leclerc last night, um, and I had already done his profile, so I went back and and just looked over some of the stuff, and, and a couple of things that caught me was you know. It, his first pitch strike percentage was way down. It was 62.3 in the second half of 2018 when he went on that glorious run and he wasn't walking people. And last year it cratered down to 50.8. So he was not attacking the strike zone. And again, this could be a feel thing just like with Diaz with the ball. You know, if, if the ball um, feels better to Leclerc this year than last year and he gets his mojo back, uh, and I think Robson Chirinos could help him with this. Um, that's that's something that we have to bake in there. Um, you know, will he go back to, to using that fastball a little more effectively, which gets into his slider, which is where he gets his strikeouts. Um, you know, it, how he works around that fringe in those other areas, you know, same thing. Like we said, Leclerc could save 30 or he could give up saves again. I mean, last year he lost his job for a, a point of time to Sean Kelly. That's a Sean Kelly. <laughs> those are all those are all fair points. And yeah, and, I mean, and if and if you if you are taking Leclerc, I hope you're handcuffing him with Joely Rodriguez. So that's that's the guy. I was actually going to ask, and I'll even give you an opportunity. Some people later. are thinking about Montero, but I I think um, Joely Rodriguez to me is the the more intriguing. Um, he had a really you know last year. I think he and again it's Japanese league, but he had a one point six four ERA. Uh, I think it was something ridiculous, like almost a, a seven to two point five strikeout to walk rate. So um, he was throwing ninety seven to ninety nine. That doesn't matter where you, where you are on the planet. If you're throwing ninety seven to ninety nine, you're throwing ninety seven to ninety nine. Um, so a couple of NL executives were telling Peter Gammons that they were surprised at the price that the Rangers got on Joely Rodriguez, and they thought it could be the steal from this winter. So. Um, that's what led me to think he's the handcuff. Again, Montero could maybe find his way in there. But um, if, if Rodriguez looks as good in the spring as advertised from the from the uh, results in Japan, he would be the person I would handcuff with. That's fantastic. I hope you're listening. Anyone who is doing a draft and hold because Joely Rodriguez is going. It's basically a fantasy free square. 642nd off the board. So definitely worth grabbing. And then Montero, you can get around there too, which, 
you know, I don't mind taking two guys if it's in the 39th and 40th round just yeah, to if, handcuff. If you're, if you're canvassing a bullpen, that's fine. Like, if you're taking LeClerc, having those two guys in a draft and hold makes perfect sense. I mean, if you're going to canvas, if you're going to get one stud closer and canvas a couple of bullpens, I totally understand that in that format. So speaking of which, uh, if we are worried about Kimbrel, is Rowan Wick the handcuff there, or do you have other thoughts? I think so, but we also have to watch the uh, the Cubs did sign Jeremy Jeffers today, and that's going to be another person where, you know, is he is he and can he stay healthy? You know, Jeffers had a bad year last year after sharing some saves with Hader um, the season prior. Um, he had he had a fantastic year. Um, he was another ratio hero in that season. Um, last year, everything that went right uh, in 2018 went wrong for Jeffress. So, um, but I did like Wick. I, you know, I, I, I signed up to do his, uh, his little player blurb on Rotographs just because he was somebody at the end of the year that uh, Al Melchior and I started to become enamored with. And he did get a save, uh, a save or two right down the stretch when Kimberl ended up back on the DL again and Strope was stroke was no longer effective so um wick's another older rookie 26 i think just like uh ginkle we were talking about but uh those are names that you can tuck away and if something happens you you can get in there before other people realize what might be happening uh it's a really good strategy i think um my friend zach waxman has has spoken about this on his podcast and maybe even when i had him as a guest on mine you know, if you can get one of these guys that has a very clear handcuff, or even if it's two, if they're if they're cheap enough, that's not a bad strategy in a draft and hold. So uh, that's that's helpful info. After that sort of glob that we were talking about, you have uh, funnily Bigger enough, glob. Well, well, but first you have Will Smith and uh, Mark Melanson back to back at twenty four and twenty five, and I like that because it's just you know I I tend to believe that the that the Braves are not you know they're telling the truth. They're going to start with Melanson as the guy, but I just think Will Smith is the better pitcher. And so I think, he... I, yeah, I think it's going to be one of those like 16, 15 splits or something. Oh, I, I don't know. I just, just brutal yeah, for fantasy. <laughs> yeah. If you, yeah. You know, uh, depending on your format, again, if you somehow can roster both of them, but the, the prices I think is going to make it very hard to do that. It's hard to spend the draft capita, I'm back-to-back picks on those guys. Well, and it's different um, than these other although, situations although because Smith is going ahead of Melanson, so you with the, maybe with, could. With the other situations where we're talking about taking several closers from the same team, it's because we think one is the guy who you can put in your lineup and you can rack up all the saves until uh, and if he loses the job, and then you hope it's going to be another guy. We're not taking three because we think <laughs> it's going to be a committee because we just don't right. have that many. Uh, lineup spots, you know, no, we can't, we no, can't. that's, that's where it gets to be tough. And so I like the you way know, you, you, you sort of have these guys lower because they're probably both going to be mediocre to bad. And then, yeah, um, if, if, if Will Smith, if I knew Will Smith was opening the season with the job, he'd be up in, in, in the top, uh, probably the top 12. Yeah. I'd probably put him in the top five or at least right behind them with like Edwin Diaz because his, his, uh, He's just been so good. You know, yeah. his ratios I just, and I just, Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I just worry about uh, Snicker. Like I said, I, yeah. for some reason, I, I'm old enough to remember the Viscaino mentor thing, and I, I almost feel like this could be working itself back into the mix. And, and if and if 
for some reason Melanson does lose a job, then you could see Martin or Green jump up there and share saves with Smith. I mean, there's that's a deep bullpen now. So Oof. there's a lot of ways that that can go. Yeah, I say take take Melanson, but only if he's free. Don't don't pay up for these guys. So then you've got McGill at 26, which I like because I've gotten a, a little bit of him. And you know, I, it's funny. No, nobody. It feels dirty to draft Matt McGill, but when he um, started using his curve more last year. That really fueled his his uh, second half and his pitching with the with the Mariners. And the only person he was competing with at saves at the end of last year was Anthony Bass, who's now on the Blue Jays. So, you know, nobody right. wants to say, "Hey, I've got the Mariners closer," and we know bad teams don't generate as many saves, but they still generate some. And it feels like the Mariners will play some close games and. You know, this is a situation where it's it's somebody where you don't really love it, but, um, you know, what was it? September and October, his last 6.2 innings. And again, it's only one month, but nine nine strikeouts, one walk, 1.35 ERA, 27 batters faced. So he struck out one-third of the batters he faced the last month of the season, and that's when he really started using the curveball at a higher percentage, which made all the other stuff in his arsenal better. You know, we talked about, you know, Hendricks in 2018 showing, I, I can't, I'm not going to say he's going to have a season akin to Hendricks last year, but again, this is somebody where you don't really think much about it, but with that, with that slight tweak, it makes him a lot more intriguing. I love it. Well, um, the backup to him is, is not really clear. Um, the... and, and Adams is rehabbing. Austin Adams is somebody, again, that Al Melchior and I both love. He's a high octane, strikeout pitcher they got in a trade from the Nationals. Um, this could be a perfect thing where Seattle uses McGill until the trade deadline, trades him to a contender to set up. Adams gets done with his knee rehab, and he can take over and close some games the last two months of the season to spend his role going forward. So, you know, we're talking about the handcuff thing. I, I would really like getting a little bit uh, of McGill slash Austin Adams combo to me. Would you um, get might Carl be able to cover Jr.? that bullpen? Two, maybe even two. Uh, some people Vallada. like him. Uh, some, I liked Tuivella last year, but the way they used him made me nervous because they kind of pinned him. And even with Bass there, they still pinned Tuivella in the seventh inning, which I didn't really understand. I thought he was a better pitcher than Bass. Um, and Bass did get a save or two also. So hmm. you, you really have to look where, where people use him. And that's kind of my argument against Giovanni Gallegos. You know, his. ADP this year without being named the closer just blows my mind. Um, they really like him being able to do kind of like what uh, what Miller used to do for the Indians. He kind of works those dirty end of the seventh, eighth innings, kind of uh, 1.1 appearance, you know, 1.1 inning appearances to, to put out the flames at the highest point, and then they kind of have somebody else come in after him. Um, so, uh, I'm wary of that Cardinals bullpen for that reason. I just, for some reason, it feels like it couldn't end up being Gant. It could end up being Andrew Miller sharing it with somebody. Uh, our recording got cut off there while Greg was saying some very valuable things about the Cardinals bullpen. Uh, we're going to move on when we pick back up here to the next guy on the list after McGill and that's Drew Pomeranz, but we will get back to the Cardinals' bullpen later. Well, okay, so next on the list, number 27, you have uh, Drew Pomeranz, which is very interesting to me because obviously 
you don't expect him to usurp Kirby Yates. But you say that Craig Stammen won eight games as the primary setup man last year, and Pomeranz could also rack up strikeouts. Uh, so is this the point where you're so unsure about the closers that follow him that you're willing to take a non-closer uh, as, a, as a relief pitcher? I am because, like, you know um... – this is kind of like this, Hader this, a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, this this list was made prior to uh, Brandon Kinsler signing with the Marlins. But, I mean, Kinsler does not come with a high strikeout rate. So, at this point, you know, I'm not going to just get somebody just to get them to get saves. I'm also starting to think about ratios. So, if I have what I think are two good closers, um, sometimes my third reliever might be a guy like Pomeranz in case I'm streaming a pitcher to help offset in case he blows up or something of that. If that does that make sense? So yeah. I'm kind of hedging my bets a little bit here. So I don't always have to use a third pitching. You know, if I'm going on a six-three split starters to relievers, it doesn't always have to be six starters, three closers. It can be six starters, and I got three of them with two star weeks. And now I want to get an extra arm in there to protect ratios a little bit, and he might get a win. And you could also see, you know, the Padres don't want to overuse Yates. So if he does two games in a row, now they have somebody like Pomeranz or Munoz can step in there and get a save on one of those days. So, um, you know, Pomeranz, as, as, uh, as his career as a reliever, so this 2.72 ERA, 140 strikeouts in 115.2 innings, a 1.09 whip, and a 3.22 xFIP. So I mean, when you're talking about the ERA and the and the the xFIP not being like egregiously apart from each other, it seems like he's kind of settled in. So I know he doesn't like to be a reliever, but he's much better out of the bullpen than as a starter. And that that leads me to think that last year's surge there, uh, there was a crazy stretch. He had 36 strikeouts against four walks in 21 innings with Milwaukee. That That's what gets my attention. Yeah, he was he was incredible out of the bullpen. That's definitely where he needs to be. Um, could be huge upside. I think people forget. I, I'm not trying to compare him to Hayter. He might not have no, that many but, strikeouts. No, but you're making the right illusion, though. He can rack up strikeouts and, and not a lot of total batter's face, and that's the allure. Yeah, and and at some point, you know, when you're taking, you don't necessarily have to take him as if you were. Um, what I'm trying to say is, you don't have to take him where these next few hopeful closers are going. You can take Pomeranz much later, and so he's not a bad get uh, where he's going in drafts. Now, the next several guys, uh, I think it maybe makes more sense to talk about them as team situations because you've got Kella for the Pirates, you've got. Givens for the Orioles. You've got um, Nick Anderson. We already kind of talked about Tampa. And then you've got Ryan Stanek. This was what you said before the Kinsler yeah, so signing Kinsler in will, Miami. Kinsler will replace Stanek in that, in that spot, yes. And then for San Francisco, you've got Tony Watson and Sean Anderson. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to stop there. You actually have an, a bunch more of sort of non-closers or guys who, who shouldn't have the, the complete role right now. And people will have to to uh, find you on Twitter and find your spreadsheet to, to get that goodness and see where you have Sergio Romo and see where you have Seth Lugo and all that. So I won't give it all away, but as far as these and who, no, I said that that's, that sounds good. Oh, okay. But yeah, so for these, I guess it's four teams, right? Pirates, Orioles, Marlins, and giants. 
it's just a total mess, right? I mean, you, you, I think you said before you, you feel like Kella is going to be the guy for the Pirates. but um, I think they'll at least open that way because they probably want to trade him. This, uh, he's definitely, he's definitely, you know, you know, the, the pitching coach is no longer there, but him and the pitching coach from last year got into like a screaming match. He's uh, not I mean, to the team. Keela pissed off Adrian Beltry. I mean, what wow. do you got to do in your life to piss off Adrian Beltre? <laughs> so um, if you can't be a good teammate with Adrian Beltre, I don't know who you can get along with. So, um, I, I think Keela would be, if you're taking him, that's great. You're just looking to get two, two and a half months and hope he stays on the field before the Pirates trade him for prospects because they that's going to be their MO this year. Um, you know, so just like if they sign Kevin Pillar to play center, they're going to sign him to play for a couple of months, trade him to a contender, and then slot in one of their prospects to take over. Kyle Crick is going 484th in uh, draft and hold leagues. Is that a reasonable pick there, or is that just throwing away? I think away? so, because – he he had an up and down uh, year last year, dealt with a little bit of injury, but I think as he um, grows into his role, I think he could end up finishing the year as the closer for the Pirates. A um, couple of guys just in their system haven't. Uh, one of the Birdie brothers is there, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Um, and I haven't seen anybody in the minors really emerge with great numbers yet. Um, they'll be they'll be someone I'm tracking very closely though. I'm going to pay very close attention to Pirate Spring games and see if there's uh, a young reliever or a starter that they're transitioning to the bullpen and, and see if uh, see if somebody like that can emerge because that's normally where a lot of our closers come from where they can't make it as a starter. They switch to the bullpen. They go to a fastball slider combo and all of a sudden things click. So that's definitely a team I'm going to be pay, paying very close attention uh, in that regard. Well, and as far as drafts right now, Kella is going 199. And as I already mm-hmm. said, Crick almost picked 500. So that's not another uh, – that, that might be another situation where it makes sense to just grab them both. Yep. If you yep. if you're if you're willing to pay one ninety nine for Kellogg, because there's a lot of right. other guys there that um, you might you would prefer, obviously, since you have sure. him ranked twenty eight. Yeah, but if you take him there, there's such a chasm that you can you can go ahead of you know Crick's ADP to make sure that you have him to back him up. I mean, if you take Kellogg, you almost have to get Crick by default. Exactly, and then after him, you have Givens, and I'm sure you're not very excited about that. It seems like the Orioles nope. were almost committed to just messing with closer last year they just uh... yeah yeah they, they they wouldn't let things settle in there um uh the and and if you if you read the the, the bullet notes under the the a the charts um i'm very big on hunter harvey now this is another guy with some health issues in the past but that was mostly as a starter um, once they transitioned him to the bullpen, he was able to stay on the mound. Um, 11 of his last 19 outs with the Orioles last year were by strikeout. So, hmm. you know, I, I think this is somebody that could grow into that role. Um, he had a 2.81 ERA and th- with 33 strikeouts in his 15 uh, relief outings between double A AA and triple A. So I think there's some definite strikeout upside there. And he's another player in the draft and hold formats or in a, in an AL only league where if I can get them for like a dollar, I wouldn't mind doing it just because I think there's a, there's a chance once they trade or give up on Givens that Harvey can maybe get into that role and maybe, and maybe run with it. I think there's an opportunity for that. 
So, so Givens is actually going uh, pick two ninety six, which is way, way, way later than than all these other closers. However, mm-hmm. I'm going to make a a strategy point. I think I would prefer to just take Hunter Harvey at pick. Uh, let's see, Hunter Harvey's four hundred and twenty. You can still yeah. get something fairly valuable at pick three hundred. Is the reason I say that, and I just don't think right. you're going to get enough from Givens. I mean, Hunter Harvey is a fine Hunter Harvey is a fine dart throw at pick four twenty, but there's really no reason to pay up even, even, uh, in round 20 for my, uh, Michael Givens. I just, I think he's a fine pitcher. I just don't like the way the Orioles are, are trending on the way they use him. So, and, and, and he's, and he's streaky and their team's going to be so bad. I mean, how many save opportunities are they going to have with that pit, with that starting pitching staff? Oh yeah. So, that's It's yeah, going to be a mess. Be, uh, yes, it is. Speaking of a mess, uh, well, actually, Miami's mess has been sort of cleared up, right? Is are we are we just going Brandon Kinsler and that's the guy, or do you still have some kind of um, uncertainty there? Um, Craig Mish, who covers the Marlins very closely, still thinks there's an outside chance they sign Pedro Strope too, um, so that could make it maybe a two veteran thing. Um, and, and I think they would use either one of those guys, just like Sergio Romo. They're going to run him out there, let him get some saves, and then trade him at midseason and then elevate somebody else up there. But I, I, it's off of the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure Miami had one and maybe two saves after they traded Romo last year. <laughs> maybe, maybe a good one just to stay away from. Uh, Even with yes. Kinsler, it's just, you know, he's going to start going in the teens rounds and it's just, I just don't right. People see are going to take him because he's a closer, but you don't have to be that guy. I agree. And then same, <laughs> same mess with San Francisco. You've got Sean Anderson who got, I think maybe two saves at the end of the year. And it's just like, are they going to let him really get, run with that? Or are they going to, you know, go with Tony Watson who they know, yes, know yeah, well? I, I, yeah, I, I don't know because Anderson's such an extreme fly ball guy. And, you know, his home ball part, he might end up being somebody where you use him at home and when they go on the road, you bench him. Wow. If, that yeah. be, if, if he ends up being the, if he ends up, I'm like, you don't want him going with, a, I think his fly ball percentage is up in the, in the 40s. So you don't want him going to cores on a weekend. Um, I, I just noticed how bad his strikeout rate was last year. He had yeah. 6.5 strikeouts per nine with a swinging strike rate of 9.0. He's below average in, in both of those. He's just doesn't really seem like closer material. And I, I don't really have I've never really thought of Tony Watson as a closer either. Well, he used to for the pirates, but I mean, uh, you know, it's, he had a little bit of time. I, it's the, I don't know what they're and, – and we have a new manager there, and we remember how frustrating it was to have um, Kapler with the Phillies bullpen at one point until he finally let Naris settle into that role. I mean, it was a absolute poop show trying to figure out who was going to get the next save for the Phillies before Naris kind of staked his – planted his flag between all of the injuries, and it was almost attrition that forced him to go with Naris, and then he, he ran with it. Um, Kapler, he, he's frustrating to predict, predict with the, to begin with. And then you're putting in all of these muddled <laughs> arms. Yeah. I it's like so many, you. it's question marks on top of question marks. It's just, it's just ridiculous. I'm, yeah. yeah. So I think from these muddled situations, I think I would just be a hard fade on, uh, Baltimore, Miami and San Francisco. I mean, Pittsburgh, you can talk yourself into, right. Especially if it's mostly 
pretty good chance of one of those two guys. But um, correct. It's the one we have easier dart. The one we haven't talked about yet is is uh, St. Louis. So tell me what you're thinking there. I think I don't even see a St. Louis yeah. pitcher on your ranks. So. Well, no, it's I, I have no idea, and okay. you know it's so you don't buy you know, the it's, Legos. It's crazy because in the second half, Carlos Martinez led the majors with 21 saves. So, oh, wow. um, but he wants that. to be he wants to be a starter. So yeah. I I still think he could end up back in the bullpen if he. I didn't know he led the healthy enough. But, <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. It's a crazy um, stat. And and it's it's nuts to think that Kennedy got 30 saves last year and he didn't take over until May. So um it's so fun. There's always people like this who emerge every year and, and trying to be a week ahead of the curve is the, the hardest part. Um, and that's why the the spreadsheet I do and the, and the articles on you know rotographs the the bullpen report runs daily for that reason. Um, and everybody has their opinion and, you know, it's always a goal. I, I tell Al, I'm like, I always try and do a bullpen report where there's no like bad comments at the bottom, but they inevitably come and you just have to, I, I've learned to be thick skinned about them because people will point out what they saw or this or that. Or <laughs> it's, it's, people are very passionate about closers and it's just funny how that became my niche. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Yancey Eaton. He was DMing me one day about closers in a 50-round draft. And, uh, you know, he's like, how did you get into closers? And I was like, well, my the last player I really idolized and, and followed was Mariano Rivera. I just – he was just, you know, icing his veins on the mound, and I respected him to the fullest, and it kind of drew me to – and my home league closers always get – crazy prices in the auction so i would never pay them so i would always be hunting and it just kind of formed my my love and niche into the closer realm so that's that's how it all kind of came about it's kind of funny that's interesting yeah rivera was awesome i do know yancey eaton uh he was actually he's a friend of the pod and he uh sent me <laughs> sent me a bunch of followers on twitter uh, a couple months ago <laughs> so, oh you got a yancey bump nice that, yeah the, the yancey bump is real so that was nice but um so, yeah, so, so you're not buying the Gallegos. Uh, I think he's sort of everybody's favorite in St. Louis. I, I like him as a pitcher. I don't like how they use him. I just yeah. You don't have any confidence it, that they'll just give him the reins. I, I, I almost feel like he was so good in that seventh, eighth inning role that they're going to keep him there because they need stability somewhere in that bullpen, if that makes sense. Alex Reyes kind of hinted that he wanted the closer role. What do you think about I that? I would see now – now that's funny because if there was one name and and he is in my thing where it says high upside future, there's question marks with Reyes and Helsley because you even have him highlighted as a speculative ad. So I like yeah, that. I, I we're on the same page here. On, on the Fancy Alarm podcast with Colby last week, I kind of talked myself into. I, I've been an Alex Reyes stan. I just that fastball and curveball. I think in one inning outings, I mean the way he was mowing through the minors on his one rehab coming back. I just think in short burst, if if there is anything like you know Martinez couldn't stay healthy last year as a starter, but did it as a reliever. Maybe maybe this is the way for Alex Reyes. I mean, there's no doubt, and hopefully the people in my home league aren't listening because they know I'm a Reyes guy. There's <laughs> no doubt in my reserve draft, I, I will definitely be, I'll probably get sucked in again and take an Alex Reyes share and, and hope that he can get that ninth inning if, if, if Martinez can stick in a rotation. If it's not Martinez, to me, Reyes would be the most 
the most alluring guy with with probably the highest upside just because of the strikeouts. I just in that shortened role, I think he could end up being dominant. That's fascinating. I think I might have to quote you on that part. That's that's some really good intel if uh, if we're right about that because you know drafters are out on Reyes. You know, obviously no one's expecting him. Oh, to he's be. burned. He's he's burned everybody. So well, myself I know, included. But and, and I think it's been God. pretty pretty obvious that he's not going to be a starting pitcher this year. So people are just not drafting him, and he's going four hundred and thirty third. So you will get him as a reserve if you want to, and. I would even take him, you know, anytime after 350 just to make sure I get him because if he gets that role, it's all about the role. And we don't draft these guys for their great ratios or, or you know, even even for strikeouts, which, you know, he could have both. But we, we draft these guys for saves. And so if he yeah. gets the opportunity, then look out. So that's that's Absolutely. a it's a pretty great way to uh, to wrap it up. Um, I, I know we threw out a lot of guys uh, along the way like that. Um just kind of recapping from my own mind, you know, uh, Rowan Wick maybe is a is a guy to grab after, uh, you know, I'm thinking of the volatile situations or the injury guys. Like, so he, so he could come in for Kimbrell. We could see Trinan uh, if, if Jansen struggles. Anybody else you wanted to throw out? I know we threw out some more along the way. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Stevenson. I found the, I found the number I wanted to talk about, so – Robert Stevenson, his last 24 appearances last year, 1.38 ERA, 26 innings, 28 strikeouts to seven walks. Now we'd like the walks to be a little lower, but that's still a four-to-one ratio. Um, his ERA in that span was the best in the National League and third in the majors. That's his last 24 outings. So, um, you know, Stevenson. even if he doesn't end up being a closer, he's another one of those guys as a reliever where we were talking about, like, in a Pomeranz role. You know, the Reds are going to be a better team this year. They're going to get more wins, and maybe he picks up. Maybe he's the, the win vulture guy for Cincinnati. Um, if that ends up being the case, there's value in a, in a in a middle reliever that gives you, you know, five to seven wins, protects your ratios and racks up strikeouts on weeks where you need them in there to balance your, 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 you know, the pitchers you're using for that week. So, and, and in leagues with like daily moves, you can move them in and out of there um, based on those things too. That's, that's one of the nice things like with head to head, every and head to head leagues, everybody's always trying to find, um, guys, they can move in there for strikeouts and cheap wins, and especially like in the middle of the season when sometimes a starting pitcher goes to a relief role like Kennedy last year. Kennedy in a head-to-head league where you can use him as a starting pitcher when he had it, um, that's a huge advantage in, in those formats. Robert Stevenson's a great call. He's going 524th, so maybe, you know, obviously grab him if you've got Iglesias, but just grab him anyway. At that point in the draft, I mean, like you said, you can just – throw him in there for ratios if you're, if you need it, or, um, you know, he's just a good guy to have around whether he's getting saves or not. Yeah. So, I mean, he's in that range, you know, we are talking about Harvey and some other people. I mean, those guys, Ginkle, these, these people that eventually might take over those roles, um, you know, Wick, you know, we, we've covered a lot of the under the radar guys that, yeah, I think we um, covered that, most that I of do the... enjoy sort of handcuff type guys, right? But is there anybody who's not on a team now that you – I know you mentioned like Pedro Stroh, but if he goes to Miami, that's not exciting. Do you think there's yeah, any no. chance that somebody would get signed by like San Francisco and just be the guy They just hand over the reins? For, I still think somehow – and I, we might have messaged about this. I still think there's – I just don't think Gosman can stick as a, as a starter. Um, I think he would. I think if he ends up failing as a starter, 
that he'll end up taking over that bullpen as the closer. So maybe he's the guy to take in San Francisco and just ignore the the guys everybody's talking about for saves and just take Gossman. It's quite and... possible. I mean, if if you were going to throw one there, I just you know he's going three hundred and thirty seventh. So in other words, no one expects much from him as a starter. So you kind of have two chances for success here, right? Like either he becomes an okay starter and you get value that way. Or he goes to the bullpen and could possibly become the closer. So I, right. I like and you that. can kind of you can kind of sift through all the other mess, right? I mean, That's as a reliever with the Reds last year, Gosman twenty point one innings, twenty six point eight strikeouts minus walks percentage. That's one of my favorite. Um, indicators for relievers is the strikeouts minus walks. I mean, that's yeah. that's pretty robust. 26.8, and he had a 2.42 xFIP. So, you know, when he only had to use two pitches as a reliever, he was so much more effective. Um, I love so, the yeah. Pomeranz comparison. Or Ian Kennedy, you know, like some guys are just better in the bullpen. So, yep, that's great. Well, Greg, that, that about does it for all the questions I had. Um, is there anything else you wanted to uh, mention? I appreciate all the players you've thrown out. Uh, do you want to tell everybody like what you're doing and where they can find you other than Twitter? And, um... <laughs> yeah, again, on the uh, uh, as Howard Bender always says, on the old Twitter machine, it's <laughs> at G-J-E-W-E-T-T-9. Um, I will uh, actually, after we've talked here on this weekend, I'm going to sit down and I'll uh, – I'll readjust those uh, those rankings because I think there's uh, just a couple of oversights and I got to get Kinsler in there and I'll adjust a couple of those things. Um, and then once the, the beauty is once spring training starts, we can start focusing in on stuff. And I do put blurbs every once in a while because I will watch spring training games and sometimes you'll hear an interview or the you know the the announcer will talk about it and, and stuff like that and you know there, there's people coming back from injuries and other things you know if the brewers do end up trading hater eventually does that mean Corey Knable gets back into a closer role I mean there's there's people that we forget about that somehow find our way back into that that high leverage role that just when we gave up on them it happens um, I'm a big Clase guy if Cleveland does trade hand I think he would do very well in that role for uh, American League only players so uh, and, and I do adjust those things so uh, that 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 chart is very fluid during the year so I appreciate you saying kind words about it and, and clicking on it because that helps me uh, stay with it and uh We'll just rock it out. It's and and you know, I, I'm doing player profiles weekly. They they are behind the paywall at Fantasy Alarm, but our uh, our draft guide is I believe it's only twenty dollars. But I say only twenty, but the the profiles by themselves I think are pretty uh, pretty worthwhile. I'm I'm I've already submitted fifty four. They're all about thousand words each with charts on players, and it talks about you know, the underlying metrics and things of that nature. And then you also get uh, Jim Bowden's connections with the major leagues. So if you're interested in those, you can click on the website and, and those articles update daily um, as do the uh, the profile drops. And then uh, Al Melchior and myself will be firing up those bullpen reports before we know it. That's awesome. Definitely follow Greg on Twitter. Um, and you, like you said, you're going to be updating that. And it's, it's something that, we all have to stay on top of, and you. Every time you update the sheet, I think you tweet it out, right? I do. Yes, I'll. I'll I put the link on there, and then uh, eventually it takes over. I, you know, when I do the daily updates, I put it on the, uh, the the top thing there. I forget what is that when you mark it. Well, you know, I'll be looking for that, and I'll probably be retweeting <laughs> it and, and 
uh, getting, getting all that goodness. So definitely um, thanks. Thanks for uh, coming on here to talk about it. I, I just appreciate you always being willing to uh, answer questions and, uh, you know, sort of explain why you have things the way you do. So um, I, I just love that you're doing this and uh, thanks for coming on to talk about it. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm not sure many people uh, are willing to get on here and talk for about, uh, what, over an hour about closures, but it's all good. <laughs> I guarantee you there are plenty of people who are, are willing to listen. So uh, so thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, that'll do it for this episode. Find me on Twitter at CommonSenseFBB. And uh, thanks for listening. And as always, stay classy, Planet Baseball.